In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. He went down with him and came to Nazareth and lived under their authority. His mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favour with God and with people. The first thing that our Lord wanted to sanctify by his presence on earth was the family. It's the primary environment in which to sow the seeds of the gospel. Our Lord advises us not to store up treasures on earth because they don't last long. They're fragile and perishable. Moth and rust consume and thieves break in and steal. However much we manage to communicate to accumulate in life, there's little point to it. Nothing on earth is worth putting our heart into in an absolute way. Our heart is made for God. And for the noble things of this earth in him. And so it's useful for all of us to ask ourselves frequently, to what do I give my heart? Exactly what is my treasure? What do I think about in a regular way? What is the focal point of my most intimate concern? Often St. Maria would address a question to people that he met on a corridor in, or in other moments. In Capienza, what are you thinking about, my son? Which was a little inviting <clears throat> the answer to these same questions. Is God present in the tabernacle? Perhaps a short distance from where I live or sleep, or from the office where I work? Is that where my heart is? Or in the country, is my heart in my business, my study? Or is it my work that occupies, occupies the foremost place? Or could my heart be on unsatisfied selfish dreams? Or hungry desires to have more? If people were honest, well, perhaps they'd have to say, well, I think a lot about myself. Only about myself and about people and things to do with my own personal interests. But we need to keep our heart fixed on God and on his things. On the mission that we've received 
from him. All baptized persons are missionaries. Missionaries in the domestic church. Missionaries in civil society. Missionaries in, in our profession. We have to keep our heart on that mission, that job that he's given us to do. And on things for God's sake. Our Lord, with his infinite wisdom, advises us to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither, must, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our heart is placed in our Lord. Because he is the one real and absolute treasure. Not in our health or in our prestige or any feeling of well-being. Only Christ. Cardinal Koenig, Archbishop of Vienna in a pastoral letter a number of years ago, said, and for his sake, in an ordered way, our treasure subsumes all other noble aspirations and duties of an ordinary Christian life. The life of a Christian who by divine vocation finds himself situated precisely here in the world. In a special way, our Lord wishes to put our heart into serving the persons of the particular human or supernatural family we have. Those who ordinarily are the ones we have to lead to God in the first place, and who constitute for us the first object we ought to sanctify. Concern for others, he continues, helps man to break free from his selfishness, to grow in generosity, and in consequence to find true joy. He who knows he has been called by our Lord to follow him closely, no longer regards himself as the center of the universe, because he has found many to serve in whom he sees Christ in need. And John Paul II in an address in Mexico said the example of parents or of brothers and sisters in the home is on many occasions of real value for the other members of the family who from it learn to see the world from a Christian viewpoint. The family is of such importance by the divine will, he says, that in it, the evangelizing action of the church has its beginning. It is the first appropriate environment for sowing the seed of the gospel and the one in which parents and children like living cells go on assimilating the Christian ideal of serving God and the brethren. It's a splendid place for apostolate. We can bring to our prayer frequently that evangelizing action in our home how we are living the virtues, how we can transmit more formation, 
how we can pray for each one of our children, for their mission that God has for them. And also about the apostolate of the home. There's a story told about Bernard Nathanson, who was the founder of the first abortion clinic in New York, founder of the National Abortion League way back in the 60s or 70s, big leader of the abortion movement in the States, a non-practicing Jew. One time he was going to give a talk on family matters. He, he changed his whole outlook after seeing ultrasound, after seeing the baby in the womb. He saw it was not just a bunch of cells. So he changed his whole outlook. He began to be completely anti-abortion became one of the leaders of the pro-life movement in the United States. And one time he was giving a, a talk in a Central American country and he was invited to dinner in the house of a supernumerary couple of Opus Dei. And on the sideboard in the dining room, he saw a prayer card and he asked for St. Jose Maria. He asked, what, what's this all about? So the parents explained, well, that's the founder of Opus Dei and we're members of Opus Dei, et cetera, et cetera. And then he sat down to dinner and he had a very normal evening. But when he went back to New York, he wrote them a note to thank them for that evening and said, you know, I was very impressed with your family. Because on the one hand, I could see you were such an ordinary, normal family. Everything was so normal and so balanced. But at the same time, I could see there was a deep faith in this home. Deep faith in each of the family members. And that coupled with that normality and that balance, that ordinariness, I found very impressive. And he said, I've come to the conclusion that any faith that can bring such normality and such balance must be the one true faith. And so I have decided to seek instruction as a Catholic. And eventually he converted and he died Catholic. He has a wonderful book one of the greatest books of the 20th century, one of the greatest conversion stories of the 20th century. And so the apostles of the home, home was a splendid place to do apostolate. And so we have to try and see, well, is my family like this? Are we truly like 11? Which day by day goes on transforming little by little those who live with us. They see our struggle for holiness, are putting little things into practice, charity, order, industriousness, temperance, justice, social consciousness. We can ask our Lord that we might constantly be asking him for the people around us, our brothers and sisters, vocations of our children, vocations of our parents, that they may move towards a complete dedication to God. And that vocation, well, can be the greatest grace that God could give them. The real and precious treasure that with our help, many of them can find. Where our own treasure is, there we have love self-surrender, and the best of sacrifices. And for this reason, we should value greatly the particular call that each one of us has received and the vocation of those we live with. 
since they are to be the immediate beneficiaries of this treasure of ours. It's hard to love what is regarded as having little value. And our Lord would not want a kind of charity that denied priority to those he has placed in our care, whether by a natural or supernatural kinship, because this would not be ordered and true. The family is the basic and most important unit of society. The one God looks upon as its firmest support. And it's perhaps the part of society that is most insidiously and ruthlessly being attacked from all sides. Taxes are levied that ignore the social importance and the value of the family. Certain ideological and politically motivated trends in education militates against the proper formation of children. Materialism and hedonism distort the vision of parents and teachers and promote, for demographic and social reasons, a campaign against life itself, striking in this way at the very heart of the family. A false sense of freedom and independence is inculcated in young people. And advanced social programs leave mothers with insufficient time to look after their children. Very good thing to watch and be careful of the textbooks that your children are using. The ideas that are there behind them, sometimes subtle ideas. Check everything. Ask questions in the school where your children go. Remember that the teacher is the curriculum. Many have lost sight of the fact that parents have the right to educate their own children. And in the face of excessive state intervention, have ended up renouncing an elementary right, which by its very nature cannot be given up. Sometimes they have imposed upon them certain kinds of teaching dominated by a materialistic view of man. And such methods, the pedagogical and didactic approaches, textbooks used, schemes of work, curricular programs, and school materials, deliberately set aside the spiritual nature of the human soul. All the great religions of the world have always spoken about the spiritual nature of man. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Christianity. Only modern materialism says that man has no soul. Man is just a thing. And so he can be disposed of through abortion or euthanasia. Parents have to be aware that no earthly power can exempt them from the responsibility that God has given to them in the relation to their children. In different ways, we've all been given by our Lord the care of others, 
Priests have souls entrusted to them. The teacher has his pupils. The professor his students. Many others have the responsibility of giving spiritual formation. No one will respond on our behalf before God when we're asked, where are those I entrusted to you? But each one of us hopefully will be able to reply as we're told in St. John, of those you gave me, I lost no one. Because, Lord, we know how to use with your grace both ordinary and extraordinary means so that no one would stray. All of us should be able to say with regard to those who have been entrusted to us, cor meum vigilat, my heart is vigilant. There are many occasions in the gospel where our Lord uses these words and exhorts us to vigilance. These uh, words are inscribed on many images of Our Lady in the city of Rome. Our Lord wants us to have a care for souls. And in the first place for our own, the soul that he has entrusted to us. Our Lord asks us for an attentive love. A love capable of realizing that perhaps someone is neglecting his duties towards God and of them helping him kindly. Or of being aware that another is sad and isolated from his fellows. We, so that we pay more attention. With another it might be that we gently help him to go to confession urging more insistently when the opportune moment comes. The treasures of the home form in a very deep way. I was told a story this week about a fellow who said that there was a sandpit in the back garden where he was, where he used to play. And occasionally his mother would hide a few pennies in the sand and then put a few big footprints on the sand and tell the four-year-old that some pirates came during the night and buried treasure. And so the four-year-old would spend hours and hours looking for the treasure, occasionally finding some, while the mother was able to have a quiet and peaceful few hours to fulfill all her chores. So there are many treasures in family life. If we have our heart there, we'll know how to discover those treasures, or to implant those treasures in the lives of our children, so that they will really savor those wonderful things. A vigilant heart is alert to notice when behavior inappropriate to a Christian home has crept in. Certain programs on television that might be watched without previous selection are too often that conversations touch on banal topics, but there's little evidence of an atmosphere of hard work or genuine concern for others. Listen occasionally to the dinner table conversation. Does it often revolve about having, buying, getting? Or is it about helping 
serving, looking out for other people. The vigilant heart is also concerned to give good example without losing patience, with prayer and with details of affection. Asking St. Joseph's intercession that we might live with fortitude and constancy, full of charity and human sympathy. One educationalist in the States says that parents have to repeat things for their children 500 times. The child only gets it on the 501st. That takes a lot of patience and charity and fortitude and affection. And if somebody is sick, those who are vigilant will redouble their efforts and their compassion because they know that the sick are somehow God's favorites. And the one who is suffering now is the treasure of the house. They were able to make an offering of their sickness, to say some prayer, and in doing so, suffer as little as possible because affection alleviates or even turns the mind from pain or at least moderates it to something less intolerable. If we have our heart in our home and our family, well then we devote the necessary time, taking priority over other interests. I heard of a man once in another country who came in contact with some of the formative activities of Oprah's Day for married men. He was a fairly prominent, professional, prestigious person. He had eight children. He always thought that the most important thing in his life was his work. But from the formation he received, he came to learn that the most important thing in his life was his family. And so he began to have a very professional approach to his family, approaches with the same seriousness with which he approached his professional work. And so he installed a filing cabinet in his home. He opened a file in each one of his children. He had a weekly planning session with his wife, setting quarterly goals, monthly goals, yearly goals. And he had a reporting session each week with each one of his children, where he would sit down for 5, 10, 15 minutes and listen to them talking about their lives, their school, their sport, their interests. And the whole of his life changed. We could try to see in our prayer today whether the family and those in our care occupy the place in our lives desired by God. And to see if our heart is truly watchful over them. Along with our vocation, this is indeed a treasure which lasts unto eternal life. Other treasures which previously seemed important to us, they will now fall into perspective and begin to lose their charm. Our Lord has said, unless you become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. At each stage of our life, maybe we have to be a little bit like that four-year-old kid in a sandpit, discovering new treasures, treasures we didn't know existed, and new treasures that have come overnight. 
we might find that a lack of rectitude of intention has corroded some of those treasures. Are the treasures that we had or thought we had before were, were counterfeit treasures? Fool's gold of little value. Don't give your heart to the things of this world, says the saints. And so to live family life properly, very often means making use of the opportunity to spend time for the benefit of others. Planning weekends, planning outings, planning family fun. Having time to celebrate family occasions or get-togethers. Time to talk. Time to listen. To understand. To pray together. We organised a father and son afternoon one time in a school where I used to work in another country with 40 or 50 fathers. In a certain moment, one of the activities was to go off to a far, far corner of the school compound and just talk. It was very interesting to see what the father said when they came back. They said, most of the talking was done by my son. Or some said, I have never talked to my son like that before. I never listened to him like that before. You could see it was a very genuine moment that had become a treasure. It's not enough to have a generally benevolent but invisible affection. Affection has to be demonstrative. We must make it overt and appreciable. And for this, we have to make an effort, a conscious effort, and pray. Deliberately cultivating and exercising the needed human virtues and forgetfulness of self. Far from being a waste of time, to ask ourselves the question, for what and for whom do I live? It's very important. What interests fill my heart? When we see that attacks on the family have multiplied, the best way of defending it is by means of true human affection. Taking into account with open eyes our own defects and those of others. And making God present in an agreeable way in the home. We can do this by saying grace at mealtimes. By joining in the smallest children with the smallest children for their night prayers. By reading a few verses of the gospel with the older ones. Or saying a short prayer for the dead, for the popes, and for the family's intentions. I asked an eight-year-old kid once in school, did he say his night prayers? And he said, yes, always. And I was a bit surprised. Always? Who always says their night prayers? So I was a bit curious of how confident he was about this. And I asked him, well, how so? How do you always, or how do, why do you always say your night prayers? And he said, well, my dad comes home late from work. We have dinner before he comes. And as soon as he arrives and drives the car into the driveway, he comes straight to our room and prays our night prayers with myself and my little brother. My father was a busy president of a bank. But yet he had a certain priority in his family life. 
And so this kid was able to say, I always say my night prayers. The family rosary is a good custom. The Roman pontiffs have recommended it so warmly, draws with it many graces. Sometimes it'll be possible to pray while traveling or make a little visit to the Blessed Sacrament, which fits in with the family timetable. And this shouldn't always be left to the initiative of the mother or the grandmother, because the father and the older children can make a wonderful contribution in this pleasant task. Many families have kept up as a healthy habit that of going to Mass together on Sundays. It's not obligatory. When children get to a certain age, they may like to go on their own, long live freedom. It's a very good thing that at least sets the, sets the tone. And so we can ask Our Lady, Queen of the Family, if we might learn to have our heart more and more in this family that God has given to us and that he wants us to build up with our prayer and with our effort. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.